Good morning and welcome. Is anybody glad to have summer well on its way? Next weekend's the unofficial start of summer, Memorial Day, and we know that summer is a busy time for everyone, but we've kind of uh, planned a program this summer for six weeks that we think and we hope will be worth fitting into your busy schedule this summer. So for six, this will be six weeks starting the beginning of June on Wednesday nights for just an hour from seven to eight, and we'll have a little bit of uh, music, we'll have some teaching time, we'll have some small group discussion time and prayer time, and we do fit that all into an hour. And the kids will have activities too, and there will be nursery babysitting available. So we try to do everything we can to, to make it uh, easy for everyone, and then if you've got a little extra time afterwards, we have ice cream in the back, so a little ice cream social. Um, like I said, that will start June 3rd, and it'll be 7 p.m. on Wednesdays for six weeks. The subject that we'll be taking up is a video series by Matt Chandler called Explicit Gospel. You may have seen these flyers in the entryway there. You can see, get more information on Facebook as well. Uh, but basically talking about how the gospel not only saves us from our sin, enables to live the full and abundant life that God intended us to live. So we'd love to have you join us for that. Father, we know that this life is a struggle. We've felt it. We feel it every day. Father, I pray that with the tools that you've given us in your Holy Spirit and you send in your Son, Jesus, we would know without a shadow of a doubt how much you love us and you want us to live for your name. You created us for your glory. So, God, as we feel the struggle, we are free to live in the struggle. Your grace covers us on the cross. No sin is greater than the cross of Christ. So, God, we give ourselves to you this morning and lift up your name as holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi. I don't know how I feel about the real pulpit this morning. I want, I want the white table. I feel more comfortable with that. I feel like I've got to really preach or jump up on this thing. So, um, I'm going to have some crowd participation to start off this morning, so you guys have to yell nice and loud. What's the most perfect place in your mind you can think of, like a location? Beautiful weather, perfect to be at, where you know, if I had my choice, this is where I'm going to go. The what? Huh? The beach? What beach? What was that, Debbie? Cape Sand Blast? Is that Florida? Is that your favorite place? Okay. Who, what else? What beach? Like, oh, the woods. Like just any woods? You just like to go to the woods. Okay, the woods. Anybody else? The most perfect place to go? Texas. Ignore that. You can, you can ignore that answer. That's my mother. Uh, just to let you all know, uh, I have a lot of family here. My mother, my father, brother, sister mother-in-law. So most of the illustrations I would have used this morning are off the table. So uh, I have to keep it clean. 
All right. She says bring it, but I don't know if she really wants me to. We can't end on Texas. Uh, so what else do we have? Hawaii. Haiti? Did you say Haiti? That's cool. All right. So imagine Eden, a place of perfection. You've got the most beautiful of creation, and it's brand new, right? God just put this into existence. Brand new, Eden, perfection. The weather is perfect. I mean, you want to go to San Diego, they've got beautiful weather. It feels perfect. This was perfect weather. Perfect location. Everything was perfect. And now we have these two human beings, the first two human beings on earth. You could call them God's blueprint. They were perfect. Made out of the image of God. And, and I try to get to, and I can't, but I try to get into the minds of Adam and Eve before anything else changed. While they're in the garden, everything's perfect. Everything's laid out before them. Everything they would need. And God says, you have the run of the place. Except for one thing, and we'll get to that. And we have this perfection. Turn to Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 2. And we'll start Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. <clears throat> the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, okay, so we'll fast forward here. This is what Nick talked about last week, but... Basically, he, he makes Eve. He gives Adam his helper and his, his partner there. And then we fast forward down to verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, "We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did not say you must or but God did say you must not eat fruit from the, the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die." So we have this perfection in the Garden of Eden. Literally everything's perfect. Uh, man and woman are there in all of their glory, and they know no different, right? The weather's perfect, so it's okay to be in all of your glory. He did not create this in Alaska. It was in perfection. But I, I want us to get this, because what is set up here is, is, is the serpent, and, and it says, Revelations chapter 12, the ancient serpent, Satan. We know this. The serpent is Satan, and he starts his first whisper into the ear of a human being right there. And Eve hears this, and Genesis doesn't give us a lot of dialogue about what, what's going on in Eve's mind. We don't know how long it took her to make this choice. It seems instant, but she's been given a choice. And this is a big thing I don't want us to miss, because this is, this is a huge part of 
this story this morning, but our story in general, is that Eve, Adam, they had a choice. They're perfect. God created them perfect. Everything is perfect. Yet, God still said, you have your own choice. You can choose good or evil. It's your choice. And so I think we have this misperception. Sometimes we have this misperception of God that he's this this God that's ready to drop the hammer on us and control us like robots. And the cool thing is, he didn't even make the first two human beings like robots. He gave them their own choice. Now, the result of that choice we will get into, and that's a hard, hard result. But he never created any of us to be his robots, his puppets on a string that he's just going to control. He gave us a choice. We don't want a dictatorship. I mean, we have a hard time when it comes to uh, politicians that want to tell us exactly what we're supposed to do in countries where they force your hand in things. This is what you have to do. God did not want to be our dictator. He gave us a choice. He gave us a choice right from the beginning. And the consequences and the results of our choice are another matter. So we have to understand that we, through Adam and Eve, had our own choice to make. We still have our own choice to make. We choose daily. God did not say, go out there, do what exactly I want you to do every day, and I'm going to make sure you do it, and I'm going to control this every step of the way. He said, here you are. I've created you out of my image. Now you make your choices. And so Eve is, is there in the garden, and the whispers come from Satan through the serpent, and she's there with this choice. All the, the lie was is that if you take of the fruit, you will be like God. God's just trying to keep you from understanding what he knows. Let's read this. It's in chapter 3, verse 5. For God, uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened Or it's in verse 4. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the servant deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So 
There's the choice that Eve had. Like I said, there's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of wrestling. Eve trying to figure out if this is the decision she should make. Satan tells her this lie. You can be like God. You can have the knowledge of good and evil. You can have his wisdom. He's just trying to keep you from being able to know these things. And he's whispering in her ears, do this. Take of it. Look how great it looks. And then what does she say? She said, it looks desirable to me. I want to know these things. I don't know if there was much wrestling. This is the first choice that is to be made. And she chooses to take of it. And as Adam and Eve take those first bites of fruit, everything changes. History was literally changed that day. Our, our history, our lives were changed the moment they took a bite of that fruit. And what it would have been like for Adam and Eve to be standing there in perfection and take that first bite and all of a sudden, boom, whoa, their eyes are opened, their minds are open. They see things through a different scope. All of a sudden, shame, fear, anger, bitterness, insecurity, all of these things that they didn't know before washes over them. And what's the first thing they do? They go and hide because they realize now they're naked. Their eyes were open to what was there and they feel shame of it. They see it for what it really is. And so they run and they hide from God. They hide in their shame. What would it be like? We, we're born into this. We know. I mean, we, unfortunately, even as babies, we have these characteristics, these traits. We're not hidden from them. They knew perfection. So it's crazy to me to think about what that change would have been like in the instant. Perfection to a bite of fruit and boom, shame, fear, just wash over them. So what do they do? They go hide. God comes out. Where are you? They're hiding. And God's saying, what have you done? So, so what does Adam do? Classic man, right? <laughs> we blame the woman, obviously. But that's what takes over is blame. And then what does woman do? She blames the serpent. She blames Satan. These aren't characteristics they had before. Now they know these things. They know guilt. They know blame. They start taking over them. That's when the battle really began. Satan whispered to the first human being on earth, a lie that told them that they could be like God, that they could take their own existence and, and pave their own way on their own. And what Satan has been doing ever since is trying to separate us into our own independence from God. Ever since. The battle was on. There, it, it truly is a great battle. Because now... He knows we feel all these things, the shame, the fear. And I think those are the two biggest things right there. You know, I had a counselor say, most couples, most people around, you fall into one of two categories, shame or fear. You feel shame? So anything that's said to you, and I know this, I'm a shame-based person. I feel guilt from my past. And so it makes it easier for me to hear something and to cower away in my shame and feel horrible about who I am. The fear-based person would feel like, 
I'm going to hide myself from all these things. I'm going to protect myself from all these things because I'm scared to face anything. And these are all lies Satan has been telling us ever since that first day. And all of it is geared towards pushing us into our own insignificance and our own independence from God. So if I feel insignificant, my relationship with God is going to be tainted. And it's going to impact the decisions I make for the rest of my life. Unless I turn it over to God. And in my fear, I can hide away from things and I can cower away from things. But at the same time, I'm not going to be able to make the decisions I'm supposed to choose. The decisions I'm supposed to make. And so Satan has whispered. And the sad thing about this is that this is just an ongoing battle for us. Turn to the Second Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9 it says, The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. This was the battle. Satan has his schemes. To try to push us away from God. God's right there trying to battle back and bring us to him. If you guys are unaware of that battle that's going on daily, if we just ignore it, then we're being naive. Because that battle's going on. And for me, some weeks, it feels like it's constant all the time. But this is the reality. This is what our life looks like. Sometimes it's very present and we, we can see it clearly. And sometimes it's really hard to notice and it just eats at us. Do you think Satan rests in the night? Satan attacks us even in the night. There, there are nightmares that are so specific to our very fears, our worst fears, that wake us up feeling like that was so real. You know what? Satan is whispering even in our sleep. And then as we wake up, I've had moments where I wake up and the first thoughts are Satan saying, you're not going to be able to face this day. You're not going to be able to do this. You go look in the mirror. There's Satan whispering in your ear. You're ugly. You're fat. You're too skinny. You're not attractive. Look at you. There's Satan constantly. Our first interaction with a person in the day, maybe it's our spouse, and they say something to us, and Satan says, did you hear how they said that? She doesn't respect you. Or, or if it's a wife who walks out after getting dressed on Sunday morning, and she's insecure about what she's wearing, and the husband doesn't say a thing, and then there's Satan. Do you see that? He didn't even notice you. It's constant. It's all the time. We go to work. A boss says something that, that calls you into question how you work. And Satan's right there saying, your boss has no respect for you. You're not a very good worker. It's constant all the time. You come to church. You interact with somebody on Sunday morning. It's happened this morning. You've had an interaction with somebody. And Satan's there. Can you believe this person? Do you know what they really think of you? It's constant. It's an ongoing battle. All the time. Satan wants to whisper in our ears until we believe so little of ourselves and so little of the people around us 
and mostly so little of God that we cannot overcome these daily battles in our lives. This week as I was preparing for my message, and Nick can talk to you about this because he knows how it goes, the weeks that, that I'm speaking are probably the times I face the most battles in my head. You guys would maybe not be shocked, <laughs> but to know how insignificant, and I've talked about it before, before I've spoke, before you guys, but how insignificant I really do feel about getting up to be here. And you know, it's funny to talk about, but my dad's in here, and he's been a pastor for like, what, like 40-something years? And, and if you know my dad, he's not a very intimidating person, really. You know, he's a very nice person, soft-spoken. I've never felt him as intimidating to me. But it is very intimidating for me to be speaking with my dad, a pastor of 40 years, in the audience. You know why it is? Because Satan whispers in my ear, your dad's going to think that you can't live up to what you're supposed to live up to. All lies. And so these weeks when we speak, it attacks me. I couldn't figure out an outline. I couldn't figure out the order of how to, to lay this out. I couldn't do, like, Sunday morning, this morning, I'm, it's 5 in the morning, and I'm trying to figure this stuff out and pray. The problem is Satan pushes us to the point with our lies that then we're left just trying to figure it out ourselves. And what has he done? He's won. Because then there's me trying to figure this out. I'm caught up in, I don't know how to do this. I feel insignificant. I don't know what to bring these people. I'm not the one that's supposed to be up here Sunday morning. I feel insignificant. And that's when Satan starts to win his battle over me. Is when I've realized, I, I don't know how to figure this out. Because then I'm not saying, all right, God, I don't know how to figure this out. Obviously. It's because I need you. I need you to take this over. I need you to help me. I need you to walk along the, the road with me. I need you to help me prepare this message. And so as soon as I can stop and say, I've been listening to Satan whisper in my ear all week. And now I just need God to speak truth. I need to hear what's real. It's so sad. This happens at such a young age for us. That Satan started telling us lies. I was thinking of both my kids this week. Uh, my son... He, he loves baseball, and he had a baseball game this week, and, and I had no idea, but they were going to have him pitch Tuesday night. So we get there, and it's like, your son's pitching, and instantly I'm like getting an ulcer here because I'm, I'm nervous for my son. My son's really hard on himself, and, um, and so he's pitching, and, and you know, it's nine-year-olds, nine and ten-year-olds. They can't find the strike zone anyway, Right? But he's beating himself up, and he feels like he's got to be like one of the Royals pitchers himself. Uh, and it's really cute. And then after his two innings, it's finally done. I'm like, oh, yes, he's done. And then the coach is like, now you're catching. I'm like, oh, great. Now another, like, very important position. It's like all night. Are you kidding me? But I'm watching my son, and I'm seeing how he's dealing with it. And, and I know it's, it's affecting him. And he gets done with the game. And I'm like, you did great. 
he, you know, he'd give up, there's run rules, and he gave up the run rule each inning, but only because of little errors or things like that, right? So I'm telling you, you're doing a great job, but he's beating himself up. I can see it on him, but he's trying to keep it together. So game's over, I leave, and I take Sylvie home. Colin comes with Kara in the other car, and they take forever, and I'm just wondering what's going on. And Kara gets home, she's like, as soon as he got in the car, he just started bawling. It's like, even in his favorite thing, like one of his favorite things to do, playing baseball, there's Satan. You are insignificant. You are not good at this. You cannot do this. He didn't want to pitch again. Because Satan is right there reminding a little boy, just playing a sport, you are not good enough. And there's my son taking it and just bawling. And the horror story, as I just remembered a few weeks ago, and I've told some of you this, my daughter. She had started saying to us little comments about how we felt about Colin over her. Oh, you like Colin better. Or Colin's so great at this. All these things. And so I woke up one morning. I'm like, I don't want that for her. I don't want her to believe that. And so I went and I sat with her at the, on the couch and I just said, Sylvie, listen. So I don't know what you think about how we feel about calling over you, but it's not true. I love you just as much as I love your brother. I think just as much as you, as much as I love your brother. And the craziest thing, it, it broke my heart. Because when a kid cries, it's audible, right? You hear it. That's the way they cry. They, they have, and my daughter, she's definitely audible. Um, but, but when she was sitting there listening, I'm saying those words. I will never forget this. She sit there in complete silence and just tears, just running and running and running. No audible sound. That's the deepest pain. Just tears were streaming down because she had started to believe a lie from Satan that she's not even as good as her brother. And that her parents believed that. And she had taken it so deep in her heart that she started to believe this. And as soon as her father started to speak to her truth, this is not true, there's this release. Because my poor little girl thought that she wasn't as important to me as my son. Satan is so dirty. He's so mean. Like it takes a little five-year-old and he tells them they're not important. You know, a dad leaves and he's not around. So that little child starts to believe because my dad's not here. I'm not valuable. I'm not important enough. Because if somebody would leave, then obviously that's, that's on me. Somebody's abused. That has to do with me. Satan just tells you, you're abused because of you. You're dirty. You're ugly. You can feel disgusting the rest of your life now. It's this reminder. Satan fights us when we're young, and he sticks with us. These whispers in our ears. Some of those lies are lies that we start to take on as our identity. We were told at a young age... And so it becomes us. And unless we can turn it over to God and let go of that, then it will impact the way we live forever. And it will impact our kids. 
and maybe even our kids' kids. It just will be ongoing. That's what Satan's goal is, to separate us. He, he wants our hearts. He wants our minds. He doesn't want us to give completely over to God and to be able to be free. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7, very common passage. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's the answer to the battle that's going on. We submit ourselves, we submit our thoughts, we submit our wants to God, and he will guard us. He will, he will fight that battle for us if we give him the opportunity to do so. Because Satan's, Satan's relentless. It'll just keep coming. It's ongoing all the time. But when we turn ourselves over to God and say, all right, Satan's right here battling us. Fight him for me. Stand with me. Help me to hear truth. Speak truth to my heart. Help me be able to live in the knowledge of your truth. That's where peace comes. And we can have this. As God has promised to take care of us. Now. Here's the hard part. We don't always all give ourselves over to God completely. And, and Satan has his way over other people. And one of the hardest things to explain to believers, to unbelievers, to, to those trying to figure out who God really is, is why horrible things happen in this world. And because of the fall, because of that choice Adam and Eve made, bad was allowed to be in this world. And as I said earlier, the important part of the story is to realize is that we were given a choice. But the reality of that is that means everybody was given a choice. God did not create sin. God created us beings with the ability to choose. And we could choose to sin or we can choose to do what's right before God. But not everybody's going to make that choice. And so the sad thing is, because of that, we see horrible devastation that makes us question the greatness of God. How could a loving God allow this person to make a choice that would take all of these people's lives? Think of the Holocaust or 9-11. Tragedies that that make us wonder how, I mean, if you think about the Holocaust for a second, it makes me go, how could you allow this to happen, God? I mean, millions. Because of one man's choice. Which led to other men's choice. Sin. 
See, God could control us and he could say, you're not going to do this. You're not going to make that choice and it's not going to impact all those people's lives like robots. Or he can say, you have your choice. But the problem with that is some people will make the wrong choice and that will lead to devastation on this earth. And so we can sit back and say, all right, let's question the goodness of God because all of these people have been allowed to die. That person's been allowed to be abused by their father. That person's been raped. That person's been murdered. That person's died prematurely. God said, John 16, 33, in this world we will have trouble. We will have sorrows. But I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. So yes, bad things are going to happen because I gave you a choice. I give you a choice. Hitler had the same choice that we had. To do what's right before God or to choose sin that would devastate a nation. Didn't mean God was sitting there saying, yep. He sat there in sorrow, just like us. And he was ready to pick up the broken pieces. For those who would cry out to him and say, I want you. I choose you. He's right there saying, thank you. I wanted you to choose me. But I gave you that choice. Because I wasn't going to force you to choose me. We can't explain away these hurts that are unexplainable. A child is murdered by their mother. We cannot explain it in a rational way. But all we know is people have chosen sin and that sin chooses to hurt other people. But God said, yes. So there's going to be hurts and there's going to be sorrows and there's going to be troubles on earth and there's going to be death. But I've overcome the world. Because our time here on earth is just so, so small in comparison to eternity. So God actually said, all right, they're going to make their choices and it's going to hurt each other here on earth. And I'm there for them. For those who choose me, I'm right here. But the reality is, I want to give them hope for an eternity because that's where it's really going to happen. That's what we have to live for. Because this time here on earth is going to go by like that. So fast. And the reality is, what we're, we're living for is what's up here. What's laid up up here. It's our eternity. And God says, all right, you feel like I'm putting you in these positions where there's devastation and tragedies happen? Guess what? There's a hope for all of that to end. What's cool, he even talks about this. He even shows us in the story of, of Adam and Eve. And turn back to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to jump into Nick's verses a little bit, so I'm not, I'm not trying to steal his thunder. He'll talk more about this, and we're going to overlap a little bit. But I want you to turn to verse 20 in chapter 3. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So, two things here. He took care of Adam and Eve's daily, daily needs right there. He gave them garments to clothe them. Right there. Just like he does for us. I mean, we're going to go through things. We're going to need provision. God is here while we're on earth to provide for us. But then he protected their eternity. And this is what I don't want you to miss. A lot of folks say, all right, they are banished. That word banished. Kicked out of the garden. This place of perfection. He banished them. There was their punishment. The reality was God was looking out for them. Because now they have this knowledge of good and evil. They know sin. And what would happen then if they went and ate of the tree of life? Then they would have an eternity with this knowledge of sin. And God did not want that to happen. He wanted to pave a way for them. He wanted to be able to give them a way out of that eternity knowing sin before they could take of the tree of life. So what he said is, you're going to go out of there because I don't want you to be able to have this knowledge of of evil for the rest of eternity. And so not only did he take them out of the garden, then he put protection, a guard, so they couldn't even get it back in there and they could not take of that because something else had to take place, right? Something had to happen before we could have this eternity and that was not in place yet. And so he could not have Adam and Eve going and take of the tree of life and now no sin forever, for eternity. So he wanted to give them a way out and so he was protecting them. Just like he does for us. The band can come back up here. See? Just like I said in John 16, verse 33, In this life you will have troubles, but I have overcome the world. I've given the way out. I've given the hope. So no matter what happens to you here on this earth, and all these lies from Satan, and all these things you've believed about yourself... It will all come to an end, and you will have your peace in eternity. I've overcome. And then to say that God doesn't understand those that are sitting back and hurting and in pain from all the devastation. How did God fix this problem for eternity? He went through the most pain anyone could possibly go. He he said, I'm going to send my son and watch him be tortured for you. I'm going to send my son and watch him be killed and murdered for you. And so as God sits back and and all of these things happen in the world, all this devastation, he can sit back and he's a God who can sympathize. As he says, the only way that you could have an end to all of this, a hope for eternity, is that I gave my son. I watched him die for you. We will be able to get to the end of all of the battling that goes on in our head. Now, as we said, we can turn it over to God and we can give him the right to speak truth to us. And we can have others speak 
biblical, godly truth to us, and that can help with those lies. But ultimately, God says, I will overcome the world, and you will be done with all of this. Slate up for you in eternity. And so we're getting ready to take the bread and the juice, and what we do is we remember that sacrifice that was made for us. We remember the fact that, that God would not let us take of the tree of life when we have knowledge of our sin, and so we have to live in that. If we chose him, if we come before him and we say, God, I want you to be God of my life. I want to give my life over to you. I accept this. He says, great. You don't have to know this forever then. There's hope. Something great is coming. Far beyond anything you could imagine. Hawaii, Texas, the woods. So much better. Here's the answer. And you can choose. You've got the choice. Jesus, just thank you so much for this passage in Genesis, Lord. And as we're talking through it, Lord, I pray that it really resonates with us, Father, that we understand what we're supposed to choose when it comes to you, Father. And that we're able to give away all these lies that Satan is trying to, to use to separate us from your love and from what you want to do for us, Lord. So if there's someone here today, Lord, that, that doesn't know, that doesn't understand, that they would at least be seeking to choose. Trying to understand, Lord. So I pray that you work through those hearts and those minds. And for those that are in, caught in the battle of the constant whispers from Satan, that they would learn to be able to, to hear your truth about what's really For, for having victory over Satan already, for crushing that serpent, and for giving us an eternity where we don't have to know sin. So we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all you do for us. challenge but back there I feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me to take it to a couple challenges for you I was thinking about my daughter again and and these lies that she was starting to believe just because of Satan's whispering in her ear and, and I believe that there's people in this room that still have that on them that they've started to believe lies maybe it was when they were a five-year-old little girl and now they're much older and they still believe that and maybe it's something that's recent but just like I was able to see Sylvie, and she still deals with it, but as I was able to see Sylvie feel that release of hearing truth and, and the release of the tears, knowing that what I believed was not right, I challenge you today, this week, if you're that person, if you have believed lies about yourself just because of the lies Satan tells us, that you're not good enough in some way or, or another, deal with it. Come talk to one of us after church. Reach out to somebody throughout the week. Deal with it. Because you should not still go through life believing lies that come from Satan. It should never happen. And so I want, just like Sylvie was able to experience that relief, I want you to experience that. I want you to be able to work through that. So, so reach out to somebody 
And I am more than happy to talk to anybody about that sort of thing. The second thing is, throughout this week, be cognitive of what is truth and what's a lie. I could write them down. It would take forever, but I could write it down as I go throughout my days. But be cognitive of what's truth and what's a lie. What you're hearing on a daily basis that is just Satan whispering in your ear. And then give it over to God. Speak scripture to it. Speak to God. Call out to him and say, these are lies I don't want to believe any longer. And then put them away. That's your challenge this week. Pay attention to what's truth and what's a lie. What's a whisper and what's really God laying this truth out before you. That's the challenge. Thank you.